So, Paul says in verse 6 that he's a servant of a new covenant, not of the letter of the Spirit, through a letter carries with the Spirit gives life, which leads him to looking at some things about the contrast between the old and new covenant. So, would somebody read 2 Corinthians 3, 7 to 11? But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory and of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even that what was, which was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Okay, so he contrasts the glory. The ministry of death, the old covenant, letters engraved on stone, we remember the Ten Commandments, came with glory, and the glory was demonstrated by the glow on Moses' face. After he'd been up on the mountain, his face shone with the glory of God. And that was a symbol of the glory of that old covenant. But that old covenant was a ministry of death. You know, basically what the law did was to show the disease. It didn't show the the remedy. So if it was glorious, you know, and the Israelites couldn't look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. I'll tell you something about the glory of Moses' face. We're going to talk about this more in a minute. But don't forget the fact that he would go in to meet with the Lord and it would re-up the glow on his face. But he would veil his face after speaking to the people and the glory would gradually fade off. But it was glorious. It showed up with his face. How much, how will the, the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? You know, the ministry of the Spirit, which gives life, it's going to be even more glorious. In the old covenant, it was glorious enough that Moses' face radiated the glory. The ministry of the Spirit is more glorious still. Wow! Isn't that amazing? It's kind of exciting to think about that. Or he says, in verse 9, if the ministry of condemnation has glory, how much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory? So the old covenant was the ministry of condemnation. That is, what could the law do? It could set the standard and condemn those that didn't need it. But the ministry of righteousness, the new covenant, makes people who have sinned righteous by forgiveness. God makes us righteous before Him. Which is amazing that it, it, it's a lot more incredible to make a sinner righteous than to condemn a sinner, right? And so if the ministry that condemned the sinner was glorious. Wow! What about the ministry that makes us in a righteous? Think about how much more glorious that is. Um, think about this idea. Uh, in verse 10, for indeed what had glory in this case has no glory because of the glory that surpasses. Like the glory of the new covenant is so much brighter that you can't even see the glory of the old one. Uh, Had you ever uh, wondered, I assume you've probably gone past this now in your uh, comprehension of the physical universe, but did you ever wonder where the moon and stars went in the daytime? Like they just go away. And where are they stored where they come out at night? Well, I assume by now almost everybody going to understand me realizes they're still there. 
but the sun outshines them by so much you just can't see them in the daytime. That's pretty, pretty incredible, isn't it? That's so much brighter the sun is. It's almost like, you know, I remember, uh, I'm, I'm really quite young. There's just certain aspects of my life that tend to date me. But I remember when, in ninth grade, I took typing class. Now, I typed, sort of, on a whole typewriter. It was a manual typewriter. And that meant you really had to punch those keys hard to get them up and strike against that uh, paper. And a lot of times they hit two together, they, they you know, you know, lock up up there and pull them apart and all that kind of stuff. It really, it was, it was hard work. You had to, you know, push that carriage back. Most of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> I can tell. But wow. At school, they had electric typewriters. It was incredible. You did just touch those keys, and they fly out there and hit that paper. It was great, and you could do the line and just automatically move the carriage back. You didn't have to pull it back by hand. It was just wow. I mean, it was like this is just amazing. I got the honor ribbon in my typing class. I, I really got into typing. That was a lot of fun. It was incredible. You could really actually, and your fingers could just kind of like do it. And now, where is an electric typewriter? <laughs> wow. The age of the computer completely eclipsed that. It was glorious compared to that manual at home, but it's nothing compared to a computer where you can change everything on the screen before you even type it out. Wow! That was an amazing concept. And so it was glorious. The old covenant was glorious. But that new covenant just outshines it by so much it looks like it's not even glorious at all. Or as he says in verse 11, for if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is important. The ear of the gospel is permanent, never to be superseded. It's the culmination of God's redemptive plan for man. So, wow, what we, what Paul is the minister of this even way more glorious new covenant. What a privilege, what a blessing, what a responsibility, what an amazing thing. And, 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 and even think about that old covenant as not glorious as it was by comparison, shown so much on Moses' face. Thoughts and comments. It's cool how Paul developed some of these things, and it's encouraging. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think he's talking about his great ministry and just uh, talking about, you know, what a privilege he's been given as a minister of the new covenant. And, and so he's kind of digressed, you know. He, this is an emotional letter. So like he thinks about the encounter with Titus, what he did to thank God that he's one of the captive prisoners, spreading the, the aroma, the fragrance of the incense of the gospel everywhere, and not like the peddlers, but he's the one who bears this new covenant as a minister of that, and here's the glory of the new covenant. So I think it's kind of a flow of thought kind of thing. Um, and if I don't see your hands, it's all right. Uh, 12 to 18.
theory. The Lord puts the most incredible teachings in the most difficult passages. And I think it's so that we have to really dig it out and we'll appreciate it more and we'll treasure it more because it took some work to get there. That's this passage. Wow. This is amazing. But if you read that just now for the first time, the second time, or the 20th time, you probably don't have a clue what he's saying. You really have to stop and work through this. But boy, once you do, this is a great passage. So let's start back in Exodus 34. I need to get this before us a little bit. Exodus 34. Verse 33. 34, 33. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. Whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel when he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, so Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Now, do you get that idea? Moses goes in to speak with the Lord, takes the veil off of his face, and his face picks up that, that glow, that glory. Speaks with the Israelites and they see it. Kind of uh, stunning, kind of, you know, uh, uh, and then he veils his face. So actually, the glow started fading, but they couldn't see it fade because he had his face veil. Then he'd go back in and take the veil off and take out that boy in his face again. That's the idea, excuse me, of Exodus 34. So now he says all kinds of things in this passage. And I'm going to look at this, I'm going to kind of reorganize the passage and try to explain it. I have a hard time explaining it without kind of going at it my way. So uh, let's do it that way. So he, uh, he says, We're not like Moses, verse 13, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it's removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So, when Moses veiled his face, they couldn't see the glory of his face. When people in Paul's day looked at the Old Covenant, they had a veil on their heart and they couldn't see that the glory had faded away from the Old Covenant. Now, when Moses would turn to the Lord, he'd take the veil off. And when they would turn to the Lord in Paul's day, it would take the veil off and they'd see that the glory had vanished. When they turned to the Lord, they see clearly. So he's using this veil on his face as kind of an analogy for the veil on their heart that kept them from seeing that the glory had already vanished. But whenever they turned to the Lord, Moses turned to the Lord, took the veil off. They turned to the Lord, the veil comes off, and they see that the glory of the old covenant is vanished. Now, as he says in verse 17, look at 16. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. Now, Moses turned to the Lord by going to the tent of meeting and meeting with the Lord. But we turn to the Lord by turning to the new covenant given by the Spirit. The Lord we turn to is the Spirit, which is the, like I said, the instrument, the agent of the new covenant. So 
Moses turned to the Lord in the tent, we turn to the Lord in the Spirit, in the Gospel that's given by the Spirit. And so, when we turn to the New Covenant, when we turn to the Spirit, the Lord, the veil comes off and we see there's no glory left in that Old Covenant. Look at the surpassing glory of the New Covenant. So, one point he makes is the veil on Moses' face is a symbol of the blindness of the unbelieving Jews. Now, look at verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So, that's a cool verse. But we really need to think through it. There are comparisons and contrasts between us and Moses. Like Moses, we behold the Lord with unveiled face. We look at him in the gospel. And just like Moses, our face glows with the glory of the Lord. Our life shows the brilliant light of Christ in us. Every Christian becomes a Moses. We show that glory of Christ dwelling within us. See it again. We all with unveiled face behold as a mirror the glory of the Lord being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So like Moses, we behold the Lord with an unveiled face. Like Moses, our face glows with the glory of the Lord. Unlike Moses, here's the contrast. We all behold. Not just some, but we all behold uh, this glory. Now, in Moses' case, just one. Only Moses saw. But in Christ, we all see. Isn't that amazing? And we don't put the veil back on our face. Now, that's going to be verse 12. I'm going to go back to that. We use great boldness in our speech, and we don't do like Moses did, put the veil over our face. Other people should see the glory of God reflected in our life. So we don't veil our face like Moses did. And partially because, you remember in the case of Moses, the glory faded. In our case, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. The glory intensifies. The more we look at the Lord in the gospel, the brighter the glow on our face as we look more and more like Jesus. That is a fantastic concept. We look at the Lord and we don't veil our face and other people see that glow and we just glow brighter and brighter and brighter with the glory of God by the transformation that God gives as we look at the glory of Jesus as in a mirror. Now a couple of notes about this. Uh, in verse 17, where the now the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Perhaps liberty from the veil, from barriers that impede our spiritual understanding, maybe freedom to be open and bold in our ministry. We're going to come back to verse 12 in a minute. And then he said, we're transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. I think the idea is it's the same word. Whether it's the Lord or the Spirit. The Lord who shone on Moses' face shines in our faces through the Spirit. The Spirit is the hallmark of the new covenant. 
He's using the Spirit constantly here to refer to summing up what we have in Christ. Because when Jesus went back to heaven, he gave the Spirit. We're in the ear of the Spirit. So, so the, the work that the, the Lord did in going on Moses' face, he does now. The Spirit does that as he glows in our lives and makes us more and more bright with the glory of God in us. Now, let me make some applications. Go back to verse 12. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. We have an unveiled message, and we ought to have an unveiled method of proclaiming it. We ought to be bold and not veil our face. That's a problem, course, because we fear rejection. We feel looking stupid and being embarrassed, and so we try to hide our light, and we don't want people to think we're too crazy about this Christ stuff. And we're hesitant and we're indirect and we just don't want to sound like a religious fanatic. We need to, Paul says, therefore having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face. We don't do that. We don't hide it. Their boldness was because they had a sure hope in a permanent covenant never to be superseded. They, they rejoiced in, in, in the Spirit, in the Gospel, in what the Lord was doing in them. And they, they had great boldness. They wanted to tell. They wanted to tell everybody they wanted to talk about it all the time. If there's anything that I need more of, it's more boldness. More, more eagerness to tell everybody about the Lord. We unveil our face, and I veil mine. Just try to make sure you don't look too otherworldly. They might think you were, you know, from outer space or something. Which, of course, is exactly where we're from. Now, here's another practical application. I mean, when you think about this idea of looking at Jesus makes you unveil your face. I mean... Really, we discern, we discern the true meaning of the Old Testament when we look at Jesus. Jesus is the key to understanding what it's all about. And we'll never really understand it until we really get a good handle on Jesus. And then, wow, I want to look at verse 18 again, practically. So think about the goal. The goal is that we reflect the glory of Jesus, that we're changed into his image, that we glow like Jesus glows. That's the goal. How do we do it? Looking at Jesus in his work. That's how we do it. That's, that's, you know, we, we, we contemplate Christ and there's no shortcuts. If you want to really imitate Jesus, you've got to really focus on the Lord. You've got to see him. You've got to meditate on him. You've got to love him. The gospels ought to be our favorite parts of the Bible. You know, just to see Jesus, see Jesus, see Jesus, see Jesus. And try to just imitate everything about it. And just admire it so much. And it should be progressive. It ought to be, you look more like Jesus today than you've ever looked. And tomorrow you're going to look like him even more. And your face is going to glow more. And you're going to be not ashamed of that one bit. It's a wonderful thing. People say, you sound like you're really addicted to Jesus. The character of God should emerge in our lives. 
as the Spirit transforms us into the image of Jesus. Now think about what that means. Okay, it's one thing to say, you need to look like Jesus. Well, think about things about Jesus that you know. One thing that's so impressive in the Gospel of John, especially, is Christ's devotion to the will of God. You know, he keeps saying, I didn't come down to do my own will, but the will of him said. You know, I'll speak my own words, I'll speak the words of him. I'm always doing what pleases him. I mean, it's like everything Jesus said to me, it was always, what does God want? What does God want? What does God want? He was just constantly focused on the will of the Father. That's all he cared about. He wasn't concerned about his own will, his own words, his own actions, his own desires, his own anything. It was the will of the Lord he was dedicated to. Can you say that? I'm here not to do my will. I'm here to do the Lord's will. I'm here not to speak my words. I'm here to speak the Lord's words. I just want to do what pleases him. That, if you're like Jesus, that's the way it is. You think about Jesus' simplicity of life. Jesus said, I don't have a place to go to bed. Didn't matter. Sometimes you didn't have time to Didn't matter. Sometimes you just overwhelmed by multitudes. Didn't matter. I mean, he was attacked and criticized and put down and whatever. Didn't matter. His life was just single-minded. We get all upset about all kinds of stuff that shouldn't matter. I mean, wow. You see Jesus, you see that just total simplicity, the focus of his life. Think about it. I think Jesus will give this. Wow. I mean, man, I've been picked on. I like it. I got picked on quite a bit in school. And I hate it. But there's nothing I can do it. The more I yelled, the worse they spoke. There was more of them than there was of me. I thought it was wrong to fight anyway, and I wouldn't have been capable. But what I do? I didn't do it. If I could, oh, I don't know what I did. There's some times. Jesus could have done anything. Anything he wanted. They are mocking him. They're spitting on him. They're taunting him. They nailed him on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. Please, would you plead with God to forgive the people who are doing all those horribly mean, terribly hurtful things to you? And Peter, of all things, one of his best, closest friends, Peter, you know, couldn't stay awake. Finally ran off. Came back kind of cringing in the shadows. And a servant girl said, you're one of them. I don't know that man. And finally, he said, may God damn my soul if I knew that man. That's what it means to curse and swear. It doesn't mean he used bad words. It means he put a curse on himself. And Jesus turned and looked at him. Jesus knew exactly what he did. The hour when you needed somebody? Peter said, I don't even know him. And three days later, the two, Jesus sent his angel to say to the women, Go tell the disciples and Peter, I want to meet him in Galilee. And Peter, when he decided, I don't think he would have thought so at that point. He gets a special invitation. Because Jesus was so forgiving and so loving. You ever had, any, ever had anybody hurt you? Somebody you're really close to? Somebody you really love? Somebody who, and they just really hurt you? 
Can you forgive them? More we're like Jesus, more we forgive the people who hurt us the most. You know, think about Jesus sacrificing himself completely to save us. Wow. And that one did, and he just, wow, he just laid it all out there. You know, looking like Jesus doesn't mean, you know, you try to research the clothing styles of first century Palestine. It means we have the character, the heart, the attitude of Jesus. And that's really rare. It'll stand out. That glory will just become so intense. <clears throat> Thoughts and comments? John? I have a question in verse 18. Thinking about the idea of being transformed from glory to glory, and it kind of seems like a progressive state. And I kind of wonder whether there's a parallel between uh, the glory of Moses fading the longer he was outside the tent, and how he had to constantly go back to the tent to reestablish the glory. Whether there's a parallel between that and us needing to go back to the Word in order to keep ourselves uh, shining. Amen. I think so. I think absolutely. We have to keep looking at the Lord. And the more we look at it and His Word, the brighter we get. Amen. Other thoughts? Carl? Thoughts on beholding as in a mirror the Lord. I mean, what I think is that the more we look at the Lord, the more He reflects back into our life. So like as we see him, it's like the reflection comes back into us and transforms us. That's what I think. Other thoughts? Questions? Amen. Yeah, I mean, wow. There are things I'm not ashamed about. You know, no matter who I'm around. You know, I'm not ashamed to uh, be a UK supporter, even though I'm in a church of IU fans. You know, you wouldn't be ashamed of that either if you were supporting one of the best teams in America, right? <laughs> you know, it all depends on how much you believe in what you're supporting. And, yeah, I mean, the more we see the greatness and glory of Jesus, what's there to be ashamed of? And there may be a bunch of people who don't see it. But, poor guy. Other thoughts? Had to get that in there somewhere. <laughs> Jamie. Uh, 
Yeah, wow. It's a little difficult for me to understand each passage and the freedom that it talks about. I'm not sure it's always the same kind of freedom. Sometimes it's freedom from slavery. Um, so I'm not sure here. You know, I think perhaps freedom, um, you know, uh, from the veil, freedom to be bold, but I, I maybe freedom from the old government. That may be true. It's just a little hard for me to be sure exactly what's in the that. That's not something I feel well uh, competent to address. Other thoughts? Sam? Well, I mean, I like the idea that the glory shone. So I have the physical concept of just the brightness glowing and increasing. I think it's all.